The Life Series. Powered by Amicus. With your host, Heather Story. Hello and welcome back to the live series podcast brought to you by Amicus Recruitment. This is the podcast that gives you insight on, uh, into the life and role of tech leaders from all over the globe. Today I'm joined by Kamal Longani, he's Senior Engineer uh, Manager over at Affinity. Hi Kamal, thanks for that little wave as well there for those watching on YouTube. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, how are you doing Heather? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. It's always funny doing that little introduction and saying, how are you doing? Like, I didn't just ask you that before I hit record. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing to have you on. Um, obviously, I kind of want to touch base about Affinity um, and yourself as well, just for anybody that hasn't kind of heard of you or your work or Affinity. Do you want to maybe just give us um, a quick little rundown on your role there and, and, and what it is that they do? Cool. Thanks, Heather, and thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Um, I'm Senior Engineering Manager at Affinity. Um, I'm handling uh, different teams, different initiatives. As a startup, things change a lot, uh, so I've been handling different kinds of initiatives. I started my career with Deloitte Consulting uh, for a couple of years uh, spent there, and then I did my own startup, uh, which was into real estate crowdfunding. I was the technical co-founder of that startup. And then I moved to Berlin, been with a few companies and with Affinity for three years now. Amazing. Yeah, I know like when, when we mentioned before and when we, we, we chatted briefly um, sort of last week, uh, you've got a really impressive sort of bunch of experience, essentially, for lack of a better phrase. You've got your kind of timeline and your career is pretty interesting. Um, but you didn't necessarily start out in software engineering specifically. Um, do you want to maybe just kind of run through your career so far? Like, how did why did you get into software engineering? Yeah, no, I, I actually did study computer engineering and um, um, I, I actually had a QA background for the most part. I had a quality assurance background. Uh, when I started my career at Deloitte, um, there was two different projects that I worked with. The, one of the projects was, uh, you know, back when President Obama was in power, uh, we had this project called Obamacare from uh, the president and this was for health insurance and giving free health insurance uh, to, to its uh, citizens, just like in Europe. And one of the biggest states implementing that was the state of Kentucky. And uh, I was one of the developers working on that project. So when there's a big spiel in the US about the health insurance, uh, there's like actually hundreds of developers working in India for that. I was one of them. And I did some coding there, uh, front end, uh, Silverlight, back end, .NET, C Sharp. Then I got into a different project after that, uh, which was Caltex. Uh, it's an oil and gas company, and as was uh, that was based in Australia, and that's where I got to play with uh, QA as well. Uh, so software testing and a little bit of test automation too. Back in 2011, 12, um, you know, uh, software testing automation was still kind of new. Uh, so um, yeah, I got a chance to do that as well, and then. Post that, I made a conscious choice of uh, sticking to the QA field because I, I felt like that was my strength. But uh, over the last, uh, say, three, four years, I got the opportunity to um, grow my leadership, not only from QA, but also to other domains. Uh, so I currently lead um, engineers across QA, uh, front end, back end. And um, I, I will be switching over to a different role in a different company very soon, and I'll be doing the same there leading different engineers from uh, different fields. I look at myself as a little bit of a generalist and that's why I chose to 
uh, transition into like engineering management. Yeah, you kind of just perfectly segued me into the next part, really, because I, I did want to talk to you about management styles and, and your kind of approach to it. Um, and it's really cool. I was going to sort of ask why you got into management, but you, you've obviously just kind of explained a bit there, which is great. Um, what kind of management styles have you kind of experienced working your way up the ladder? And how has that kind of affected your management style as you entered that role? Yeah, so initially when I was quite new to this field, uh, this started with uh, me leading some QA engineers. And um, there was a startup called Celix that I was working at, which got acquired now. And uh, I got the opportunity to uh, be the hiring manager for the first time. It was a new experience for me. And um, it's, uh, coming from a QA background, I have this very, I have a tendency to be very picky and selective, uh, both in my recruitment, but also in my work. Um, so uh, one of the things that I felt uh, that, you know, and I look back at it, could have been improved is uh, I was too choosy in my candidates, uh, especially if you're hiring junior to mid-level candidates. It's something that um, you got to have a little bit of trust in them to upskill themselves because no one's going to be perfect right at the time when you hire them. They're also on a journey of improving themselves just like uh, you yourself were. So um, that's that's how I uh, basically started with um, management. And um, uh, initially it was a little bit, I was taking it too seriously in, 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 in a lot of ways. Over time, I just got to relate with everyone who I'm leading uh, in the way I related to myself and my own journey. So it helped me empathize better. And uh, today I, I'm more of a servant leader. So which means that uh, I look at myself as a coach uh, so if, if I'm I'm not I'm not going to say that I am Usain Bolt, but I know that my team has uh, people like Usain Bolt, people who are run as just a metaphor to say that people who are uh, top performers in their own specific domain. So my goal is that of a coach, where I want to groom hundreds of Usain Bolts. Uh, having having done that racing myself in the past, I feel like I can pass it on. So I'm more of a servant leader, which enab who enables. Uh, the the team members to uh, reach to their fullest potential and perform at their peak. Yeah, again, um, you it's almost like I sent you the questions pre this interview because you are segueing me perfectly. Who would have thought um, <laughs> into each question? I don't know whether you're doing that intentionally, but I'm loving it. Um, it's really interesting to hear about other people's managerial experiences, especially when you say you come, you've come from a, a QA background, which is obviously really intriguing because presumably you, you were sort of you instinctively had that kind of perfectionist mindset almost and and it was interesting that you mentioned you were taking it almost too seriously was that kind of what you meant in terms of like you were kind yeah. of focused on getting things right but then it sounds like you obviously went through the motions of getting to know your team and you kind of you know not not softened up in terms of like the hard work and the work ethic but in terms of you know taking it a little bit less seriously and becoming more people focused and now you're kind of um, you know, a servant style almost, which is really cool. Um, you you touched a little bit on it there, kind of coaching people and helping people be, be the best on the team. What what kind of specifics do you do to kind of ensure that your team are all performing at their best? Obviously, we can't all be 150% every single day, all day. So how do you kind of balance that and manage that and make sure that each member of your team individually are actually doing the best as, as well as the best they can? Yeah, I, I try to listen more and try to listen for signs uh, that uh, are visible to me in my one-on-ones. Try to do one-on-ones every week, especially with my senior engineers. 
and um, if i if i see some kind of lack of motivation or lack of alignment with company's objectives i either call it out or i just try to have an informal conversation about it um, usually in my one on ones i keep my work away so which means that if i have a one on one with you and you're on my team we're not going to talk about work because we have other opportunities and other meetings to do that um so in our one on ones we typically keep it very informal um i sometimes make my one on ones awkward so there's something called awkward one on ones uh every now and then where uh, where i encourage uh, the person who's in my team to bring up any awkward questions it could be things like um salary raises that may not have happened for a while for them it may be um a sort of like a competitive spirit saying that my team member got promoted but i didn't so it's like an awkward topic to bring up um and any other topics that um might be about interpersonal relationships between the team members or about challenging what we're working on and why why does it make sense at all so stuff like that which can be awkward to ask on a daily basis i i try to keep like uh one one on one in every one or two months just for an awkward conversation and the rest of the one on ones are typically uh, to understand how they're doing in their personal life and also how they're doing in terms of uh, their own growth trajectory uh, we i typically start a goal setting session earlier in the year so that we know that by the end of the year this employee wants to reach at this level uh, could could be in terms of school, skills could be in terms of uh, cross functional communication could be in terms of just general communication um and then we sort of have these one wants to iteratively track on that the, there was an example of a girl who was in my team and she um uh, basically set up a goal for herself to uh, effectively lead a, a team rather than being just an individual contributor so every one on one we used to have mini goals uh, set for her uh, which she could um, say that hey there's 10 tickets of which seven are assigned to me but i'm going to take responsibility of delivering on the remaining three even if they're assigned to someone else so which means that she takes the full accountability she may not actually write the code herself but any questions that those team members have they go back to her and ask um, ask any questions uh, in order to resolve and deliver those tickets on time so it's just uh, try to put more responsibility on people who want to take it and if there's someone who's underperforming try to understand the root cause and uh, have an honest conversation with them about it and uh, just go deep into that and see if uh, they can and want to improve on that yeah i love that that sounds like a really healthy way to go about things especially i really love the philosophy of having those awkward one to ones and intentionally kind of because it is tricky isn't it and 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 a lot of the i think a lot of the the aspect of an awkward question being an awkward question at work is the fact that there isn't really ever a right time to bring it up and half of the battle isn't actually asking the question it's when to ask the question so yeah. that kind of forward thinking is is it sounds super positive um you, yeah, at the same time you can't have too many of those right if you have every week an awkward one on one it's not fun to work with them yeah exactly exactly that's right <laughs> you kind of get up someone overspills a little bit too much you're like okay this isn't this is even awful <laughs> like we're just breaking all the barriers um that's great um you mentioned a little bit about cross function communication and things like that between your team members and general communication between team members um one thing we haven't obviously mentioned yet is that um it's a kind of a globally remote team mostly isn't it um yeah. you're kind of working with at the moment how do you manage the communication between your team members then in that case like and also how do you kind of manage the culture amongst a team that's remote 
Yeah, so uh, at different points of uh, my journey in Affinity, uh, there have been people reporting into me from Singapore, Berlin, Ukraine, and India. These are all different time zones, but more importantly, different cultures. Uh, one of the interesting things about, say, um, uh, let's say, uh, if, I, if I work with a Singaporean culture versus if I work with a Ukrainian culture, they're polar opposites of each other. They tend to be for, for the most part. Uh, where in general 90, 95th percentile of Singaporean person would be a lot more agreeable and say yes a lot um, and not be uh, keen to oppose ideas. Uh, whereas uh, the 95th percentile Ukraine, in my opinion, uh, would be more prone to challenge your ideas and more um, sort of standing up for what they believe in. And um, not to say that either one is good or bad, just that uh, it's a different challenge to uh, mix all of that into one hot, in, into one pot and make a recipe out of it. Um, so just like how you have uh, sugar and chili uh, in you know uh, different proportions to make a dish uh, come out in, in the same way you have a team uh, dynamic that requires all of these energies. And also I encourage sometimes uh, the roles to be switched over where if someone's agreeing too much or being too passive, I sort of push them to, especially in my one-on-ones, I push them to contribute more and be more visible. Uh, whereas if someone who's very enthusiastic and wants to bring out their ideas every time, I encourage them to think a little bit uh, and try to understand from a strategic point of view what points make sense to escalate and what not. So, um, and uh, put, put, put a remote setting on top of all of this, it becomes even more challenging because uh, a, it's a different time zone, but B, also, it's uh, you're only talking to each other on a need basis for the most part. As if you're sitting in a, if you're sitting in an office, you're sort of uh, getting up, uh, getting up from a chair and just uh, goofing around, saying hi, whatever. Just like there's a little bit of fun involved. Uh, whereas um, in a remote setting, you're typically collaborating on a huddle, which like uh, Slack has a, has this feature called huddle where you can immediately have an audio call and present your screen, get your work done, bye-bye. And um, there's also a very real Zoom fatigue, right? So you don't want to overdo on those calls as well. So um, it's important for a leader to recognize that for, for the, uh, uh, in the beginning and then try to address it. Um, the way I uh, used to run things or still run things is that uh, every week I used to have some kind of calls uh, whether it's a team call or whether it's a, a Friday fun call for everyone to come together and um, just not talk about work and do some kind of a coffee chat or a game session. It doesn't work for all the teams uh, because if there's a team that's overloaded with work, they wouldn't want to attend another one hour of Zoom call on Friday. Uh, but um, uh, in this case, there could be another call, which is uh, uh, I have these retro sessions that happen every two weeks. And it's a part of the sprint, right? And, um, and in, in that retro session, we don't really record those sessions, but we encourage everyone to speak up uh, and write their points of what they think they can, that could be improved upon. So it's not perfect. I'm not going to say that, you know, everything works smoothly. Uh, but again, uh, offline world has its own challenges uh, with regards to productivity and um, lack of focus. Uh, so both worlds have their own advantage. Uh, and I feel like the leadership skills required in both offline and online world tend to be of different uh, um, category and uh, offline managers who have never done remote management will likely have uh, a little bit of a steeper learning curve in my opinion and what I've seen. 
And whereas a remote manager who's going into the offline world might have their own challenges. Uh, so uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, it does to... really well as well. There's um there's there's a couple of points actually that I picked up on there, and and one of them I think the the main kind of key thing there is getting the balance, isn't it? And it sounds like such an obvious thing to to say that you need to be getting right, but like as you rightly said, you've got all of these kind of complex. Uh, differences in, in cultures coming together and then you have the remote element on top of that so finding that balance also uh, as well as that to be able to give your team the right amount of autonomy and not be bugging them so much with too many calls and things but when you're remote you know it's not like you can kind of just pop over at someone's desk and and ask them a question like you have to physically interrupt what's going on on their screen mm -hmm. to be able to talk to them and, and that can be challenging for everyone involved sometimes but I really like your idea of of again these awkward conversations that you're kind of enforcing almost but in a nice way um and then also these kind of little sessions on a Friday and your, your bi-weekly sessions as well mm -hmm. it sounds like it isn't it's balanced. It sounds balanced to basically, it's not too much, but it sounds like your, your team seems to enjoy it too. Which is in, in the offline world, another interesting style of one-on-ones that I used to run is the walking one-on-ones where we shut down our laptops as we go out of the office space into the uh, nature and then just walk for that half an hour and talk to each other. That also, I feel like, has a very different um, vibe uh, to it uh, than a regular one-on-one -on -one inside a meeting room. Yeah, yeah, I think another thing as well that I wanted to kind of ask you next was about kind of on-site versus remote management and, and how you kind of compare those. Obviously, you've done it a little bit there, um, but how, I mean, do you have a preference on, on, on remote or on-site or is, is a mixture kind of pretty good? Is that the right way to go about it? Yeah, being an engineer myself, I don't like to be interrupted a lot. If I'm coding, I definitely prefer the remote style of working. Uh, I do think there is value in having everyone meet every now and then. I don't think it's needed every week. Um, I feel like remote leadership is um, a topic of its own, and uh, I will not be surprised if there are books written about it, ebooks probably uh, written about it, um, because I've seen that there are um, very senior level managers that I've worked with and under who have come from a completely offline world, never worked really on. Uh, chat applications. They're uh, usually uh, people uh, you know, talk to people in, in in a physical environment, and they don't do well in a remote culture, um, especially in the last two three years when we were forced to work remotely everywhere. Uh, there there have been managers who are so um, well experienced, uh, you know, two or three decades of experience, and uh, their teams haven't done well, and their initiatives have been shut in front of me. Um, just just because they just couldn't align their teams uh, in in a in a uh, remote setting and practically what that looks like is the manager is not available on slack uh, or uh, does not really have a sense of uh, urgency like when you have a message on slack on a certain channel uh, with a certain level of uh, priority or urgency if you don't respond to it within x amount of time it's just like uh, um, it blows over uh, to to a different um, part of the application. So if you don't have your senior management interfering in those aspects, uh, they will very naturally be sidelined and there would be people who are visible online uh, who would actually take up the take up the power. And um, what I'm trying to get at is uh, the the remote setting is is not for everyone, I think, um, in my opinion, at least what I've seen. Um, Whereas um, in in the physical in the uh, offline world, 
I've I've seen uh, people succeeding without having to even open their laptop. There have been managers that I've worked with, especially earlier in my career at Deloitte, who uh, managers who don't even open their laptop the entire day and they still um, are able to align the entire organization under them in order to achieve certain initiatives. I don't think we live in that world anymore, especially in tech. And um, managers who come from that world need to evolve and have already evolved a lot of them and some of them haven't. And um, they don't really fit in culturally. And so what, an organization's culture also, in my opinion, shifts a lot. If you work remote first or hybrid, uh, your organization culture cannot be the same as an organization which works completely uh, physically. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic, isn't it? I don't know, like you said, that, that it's definitely a topic in itself of remote leadership. And you're right, there'll definitely be countless manifestos of how to lead, remote, remote lead. That's not right. Lead remotely. Um, yeah. It won't be me writing those manifestos off the back of the <laughs> Um But yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because I, I was going to kind of ask next about how you make people feel valued on a remote team. And you kind of touched a little on it there um in your previous experiences of, of certain managers that haven't necessarily done a great job of that or even adapted to um to remote from on site but how how I know you said about the one-on-ones and things like that is there a way to truly know whether your team are actually doing okay especially with the globally remote team um you know is it do, yeah. you, do you have a way of kind of personally getting to know them for real for a lack of a better phrase you know is there is there a way to kind of really tap in to, to yeah. take. There are examples of this I've seen from other managers who have gone, in my opinion, a little overboard with it, where there are um, Slack um, applications that ask you every day on how you're doing, and at the end of the week, create a scorecard out of it. Uh, it's kind of like number crunching people, uh, which in my opinion is way too much. And then um, uh, there's there's the other side of things, which is uh, way too much frequent uh, communication. Uh, I know over-communicate has been the mantra of a lot of companies since COVID, but if you're having a Zoom call every day and then you have like three one-on-ones with the same person every week just for them to ask you how you're doing, it's also a little bit of an overkill. Um, but uh, what I've seen work for myself is that um, I try to make a, a friendly relation. Uh, relationship building in, is, is very important for me. Even if I'm working with people who are not in my team, who are my uh, you know uh, counterparts in different uh, functions like product and uh, business, et cetera, um, my agenda with them when I talk to them is just is not work in the first call. It's usually about relationship building and try to understand who they are, what ticks them, what's their motivation, uh, what will help them succeed? So if I can propose an initiative to them tomorrow that also achieves their goals in their OKRs, uh, that'll help them and that'll also have them motivated to help me back and my team. Um, so this has worked for me. As for most of the people I've been able to build a relationship. There are some uh, tough nuts to crack where you know, there are some individuals who will not um, open their video uh, most of the times and um, there's not much you can do uh, other than ask them to uh, try to open up, um, especially in meetings which involve higher leadership or meetings with which involve the rest of your team. I think it's important to show yourself and be visible. And I encourage everyone to be visible, even if uh, they have some opinions to share and um that those opinions may not work uh, you know gel well with the rest of the team that's totally fine 
want to create a platform or an atmosphere where voices are heard. So that's another thing that can help open things up if if there's um, people who are closed up. Uh, and that's natural, right? There are some individuals who are um, extroverts and some are introverts. Um, but in any case, with both cases, I try to you know, build that relationship and rapport with them so, such that in case uh, there's something that's breaking in the application, they wouldn't mind opening the laptop at odd hours and uh, try try to fix that issue. Um, that has worked for me in the past. And um, it doesn't work for everyone. Um, and also a team setting is different. So it, it doesn't mean that uh, the same behavior will flow outwards and upwards uh, to the rest of the organization. Uh, that's where visibility training comes into picture. And uh, in the remote world, the Slack is your uh, Slack or whatever application you're using, that's your office. So if you're not online and not uh, writing something there, you're not you're as good as not in the office. So um, your physical visibility is not there anymore. And uh, in the absence of that, your opinions are on Slack or um, the words that you write matter more than the words that you speak um, in one on ones. So that's that's something that. Um, yeah. I think it's a it's a really fascinating point to you know kind of where's where's the line with when to kind of stop pushing someone to open up a little more with with work some people like you said are just a little more introverted some people a little more extroverted and sometimes people are just an extrovert who are having a bad day and don't want to talk that much you know like it's very um it's very up and down and it can flow a lot um in terms of do you kind of reflect on yourself as a manager much in terms of you know like how how do you kind of measure yourself and, and how you're doing you know how do you do you do you think about it a lot like how kind of introspective um should a manager get or how healthy you know what's a healthy level of introspection for for a manager who's managing a remote team yeah um the, the first step of that for me starts externally um ironically, which is talk to my team and ask their feedback on a regular basis. Uh, but my one-on-ones my one -on are not just about um, telling them something to do. Uh, it's also about asking what I can do better and uh, what are the things that you think is lacking in me. Um, so I see that feedback on uh, the bi-weekly retros that we do. I see that feedback in verbally in one-on-ones or team settings. Um, so that's my sort of source of inspiration. And then uh, in terms of introspecting, I, uh, I I basically look at my OKRs as well. Uh, if, if I know that if I can help my manager succeed, if I can help my whatever CTO succeed uh, and make them look good, uh, then in some way I'm doing a good job and my team is doing a good job. Um, as a manager, I feel like your work and your... Um, um, validation is, is a lot more external rather than internal. As an individual contributor, you can look at your code and be proud of what you've done, or you can look at your, the copy that you wrote and be proud as a, a copywriter. But as a manager, it's usually uh, you have to take a back seat and um, it's like praise in public and criticize in private. And um, if there's something that goes well, it's the team's win. If there's something that goes wrong, it's my fault. Right. So that's what a manager's attitude has to be. Um, you can't go out there and uh, go go out there with an intention to shine. That's one of the mistakes that I did early on in my career. I wanted to shine a lot myself. 
because uh, I did come from an individual contributor background. And uh, then slowly I realized that you know, as a manager, it's, you know, I should be taking a back seat and let my team shine. Um, I'm a big fan of wrestling, actually. And um, wrestling also has the same mindset. If you look at um, two, two wrestlers and wrestling for those who uh, don't know is uh, theater, right? It's fake or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, all acted out. So if you see that there's two opponents who are fighting against each other, um, they're actually not fighting. They're actually doing uh, an improv uh, or a theater, right? So they're supporting each other even in that fight. And they're trying to make each other look good in their promo battles. Uh, if they say something, um, if, if, you, if you diss your opponent, you diss them in a way that puts them up, not down. And so um, some of that translates to engineering management as well and, and teams as well, which is to say that um, if there's feedback coming in uh, from my upper management and they're really frustrated and there's a lot of uh, negative words being spoken, it's my job to take all of that and filter out the most the essence of that and transfer it to my team. I can't transfer all the pressure to my team. Right? I have to take a lot of that and pass on the message, uh, which is relevant. And then uh, if there's good work being done in my team, I, it's my job to make sure that they all shine, right? All of them have visibility. People know by first name who my team members are. Everyone in the organization should know that uh, that's my responsibility. If they don't know me, it's fine. They should know my team members. Um, so that's that's kind of like uh, a little uh, something that takes a little bit of experience, in my opinion, to to take a back seat and let others shine and help your manager shine, help your team shine. And, um, if you do all of that right, you you will grow in the organization. Yeah, I absolutely love that philosophy. I think is it. Do you reckon it's easier to to cut? It's, I mean, I would say it's easier said than done, but I think you, you put it so so perfectly that it, it, it does sound actually quite a smooth transition to be able to make. But I really like your honesty in saying that it you kind of started off being like, right, this is my time to shine. I've kind of I've got the title now, made the effort to get to this point. It's my time to kind of let's go. But then in reality, you realize that your role is actually much more about lifting your team up above you. And you're kind of there to, like you said sort of earlier in the episode, you're, you're servant to them to help them kind of be elevated and, and make sure yeah. that they're really getting the attention that they deserve. It's not it's not kind of about you, essentially, yeah. which, is, which is a really kind of like an enabler. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, definitely an enabler. Um, it's do you, do you think that that's the sort of thing that comes with experience for a manager or do you think that? um that's a quite a unique perspective or do you think that obviously yeah, i think it comes from it's mistakes all... like you you have to fall um 10 times for the 11th time for you to bike correctly i don't think um, anybody can take this theoretical knowledge and apply it uh, unless they actually make those mistakes themselves i've made my mistakes i've escalated the wrong things to the wrong people at the wrong time i've um um put my head out and name out uh, to shine myself. I've uh, I've committed some of these um, cardinal sins uh, for me to actually learn from experience. So to your earlier question about how do you introspect, I intros I'm forced to int introspect based on my mistakes and learn from them. Uh, of course, it, it it is useful and valuable to learn from your leaders. Sometimes I spend time with my senior, senior leadership and try to get and understand what they're trying to say. Not always it will make sense, but um, sometimes it makes sense two years later, right? Uh, when, when you listen to a negative feedback, you might be emotionally charged at the point, at that point. Uh, but maybe a couple of years later, some of that feedback 
might make sense. Some of that feedback might even be bullshit, right? Not everybody knows you. Um, I don't know your entire journey. And uh, for me to say uh, two sentences of judgment might sound harsh and it might be harsh, but uh, some of that might even be valid. Um, and I, I try to listen with an open mind and I don't, I try not to be um, argumentative or judgmental of uh, somebody, someone saying something. Um, whatever they said, it is the reality of that moment. And uh, they said it because they felt a certain way. That is totally fine. We are dealing with humans. We're not dealing with robots. Emotions are a part of an organization or of a team. Uh, rather than ignore them and say that be rational, you have to acknowledge them and try to go deep into the, those emotions and try to resolve them. Um, almost like a, you know, the job description of a manager sounds almost like that of a therapist. Um, but uh, I, I think it sounds like that because it is partially like that because you have to listen a lot. You have to be empathetic um, and you have to be empathetic not just to your team, but also to all of the other stakeholders who are reliant on you to deliver something. And when I say that, hey, I don't have enough capacity in my team, it's heartbreaking for them to listen, even though that might be my reality. And so how do I explain that to them in the most eloquent way and also in a way that uh, helps them understand my situation, but also helps them set realistic expectations? Um, again, sounds easy uh, to say, but it is a bit of an art uh, that I think people master based on their own personal experiences. Yeah, 100%. It, it, there's, there's so many elements to it. I mean, we, we try and cover as much as we can about leadership on this podcast, but there really is endless kind of topics and ways to go around it. And, and ultimately, I think you're absolutely right what you said about, you know, being able to learn from your mistakes. Everyone makes different mistakes and learns different things from them. But ultimately, if your team are comfortable, then you know you're doing something right. And, and if yeah. they feel, you know, happy enough that if you're being approachable enough as well, I think it's quite important that your team can actually come to you. Um even in even if you're forcing them to sit down and have an awkward conversation or an awkward one-on-one -on -one, then you know they they are they are going to feel more comfortable with that and, and that sounds like you're doing a great job by the way in a lot of those awkward one-on-ones i didn't actually hear a lot of awkward questions okay. i set an you know i set a forum i set an invitation but um not everyone takes full advantage of it i feel because people are still a little bit hesitant um but that's a good sign also uh probably because um, a lot of the times when you don't hear a lot of awkward questions, it's a sign that either things are doing very well or you're such a bad leader, they don't want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And I hope it's not the latter for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever, I imagine, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I doubt it would really happen, I suppose. But have you ever had some like really awkward questions that you just did not expect? Or is it just, is it mostly being pretty tame and work related? I mean, um, modern organizations uh, work in a way, they want to be cool. And so they, there's no topic that's off uh, the grid for the most part. Um, so I haven't really heard any question that's thrown me off guard uh, because, you know, it's 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 all fine. We're all joking around. And um, I, I can't remember any question which uh, uh, threw me by surprise. Um, there are some um, political questions that if you're working in a larger organization of more than a couple of hundred people, uh, there is a natural proclivity towards uh, people trying to politic their way here and there. I, I don't think the P word is bad. Uh, a lot of people hear politics and uh, sort of shy away from it. I, I don't think um, it's all that bad. Uh, sometimes it's about managing stakeholders' expectations in the right way. And um, sometimes it might not make sense for you to say something directly to someone and 
have them hear it from a different person and uh, it's okay to uh, sort of try to influence different stakeholders in a positive way so uh, some of these awkward one-on-one -on -one questions um, tend to revolve around topics that um, people are not supposed to talk about in an organization the, if the organization is going through certain changes or if there's a new a senior level leader who's hired and we might be expecting some changes so there are some kind of, those kind of gossip related questions which uh, are not bad you know people deserve to know sometimes i also don't know myself what what's going to happen and um it's it's important for a leader to comfort your team rather than just say that i don't know maybe the organization goes to shit you can just say that i don't know uh, but you know let's hope uh, that the culture of the organization um scales well uh, as we change so it's it's a little bit about also saying the right things um, but um, a lot of that is also about doing the right things when the time is right yeah yeah you do you do sound like you you make yourself very approachable in these sort of situations to be honest and i think um your team are obviously pretty lucky to have you i've got i've got two more questions and one of them wasn't written in the original questions that i had written out for you but since you mentioned it i have to ask who's your favorite wrestler <laughs> that's a very difficult question um <laughs> there's this there's a concept called mount rushmore of wrestling there's mount rushmore is a picture of four people so i'll give you four answers and four wrestlers uh currently the biggest uh, villain or heel as we call it in wrestling is mjf maxwell jacob friedman uh he's he's a hell of a talent and uh, he can cut promos that are so scathing you want to switch off the tv and switch it back on in two minutes just to <laughs> listen to uh, him complete his insults. Um, that's one. Um, the other is Roman Reigns is at the top right now, who is uh, the sort of undisputed world champion. Uh, he's a great actor. Uh, his emotions and his little expressions um, make make his performances very theatrical, whether it's wrestling or whether it's uh, promos. Um, then, um, just to mention a popular name, I'll I'll say John Cena because. Uh, he was he was someone who I grew up watching, and uh, he's carried carried the uh, world of wrestling on his on his shoulders for a while. And then when I was younger, I used to love Lita. She's a, a female performer who's not uh, perf actively performing these days, and uh, I think I I used to like her work as well. Uh, Cool. Well, I've heard of John Cena, so one out of four isn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, I had to mention John Cena because that's something that everyone can relate to. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you did throw that one in there. Otherwise, I would have absolutely no response to your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I would have really struggled. It occurred to me as soon as I asked, I was like, Heather, you don't know anything about boxing. I'm like, you know what I mean? Wrestling. It's not boxing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really showing my true colours here. I know nothing about any of it. Um, let's just stick to tech leadership from now on. Not to, don't ask any more wrestling questions. Um, no, that was great. Thank you for that. And I love the, the little Mount Rushmore analogy as well. That was cool. Um, so to get back on track with, with the final question that I ask all my guests, um, obviously, it's been such a, an insightful episode anyway. It's going to be definitely useful to anybody who who wants to be in a similar, similar position to you one day anyway. But what advice would you have to for someone who, who wants to be in a similar position to you? Um, be humble and not give advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, no, I think uh, if if anyone wants to be an engineering manager, if you're in uh, an individual contributor track, um, I think it's a job only for people persons. So if you're a people person, if you love to deal with other people uh, and their problems, uh, if you don't mind uh, the occasional 
you know difficult situation with um, somebody underperforming or you having to let someone go uh, those are skills that uh, require you to have uh, comfort in people management and talking to people and resolving their issues um, so my advice is uh, if you're not that kind of person don't go into this because there's obviously a different track in most of the other companies which is uh, you can grow as an individual contributor you can be a principal engineer a distinguished engineer that's not um, any less or more than a management track and um, the, the reason i give that as my number one tip is because i've seen some people who switched into the management track uh, and want to switch into the management track and um, they just don't want to deal with all of these issues uh, with regards to people and with regards to collaborating with stakeholders and setting their expectations right and um, dealing with difficult people who you might not necessarily like on a regular basis, uh, translating feedback, uh, which might be very harsh from the top leadership to, to your team. So if you don't enjoy, if, you, if, none, if none of this sounds um, remotely familiar to you, then don't do it. Um, so yeah, my, the, the advice that I have is for people who um, um, think that they want to do it, but um, are actually not those kind of people, and that's totally fine. Yeah, I love that. I think it's. Uh, do you know what? That's that's. It comes up a lot in this in this podcast that a lot of people kind of sometimes think that they just want to climb the ladder and kind of sometimes not in a shallow way, but they they think climbing the ladder means managing people and manage and then having more responsibility over people. Um, and that's just not always the case, is it? Not everybody's actually built for that. So I think that's a brilliant piece of advice. Um, it's it's honestly been a pleasure having you on. Um, and, and I've learned myself a lot in this episode as well, mainly not to mention wrestling or boxing in future episodes, but um, <laughs> it's been very, very, very interesting. Um, and I'd love to kind of catch up with you again in six months to, to see where you're at. And and um, I know you said you were, you were walking into a new role, so we'll definitely have to catch up at some point. But um, if you're uh, if you're watching on YouTube, um, hover over the logo in this corner in the bottom. Um, hit subscribe. Uh, follow at, at Amicus Jobs on socials. Head to amicusjobs.com uh, for all our previous episodes and uh, all of our roles that we've got up there as well. They're all very interesting and very lovely. Um, Kamal, honestly, thank you again so much. It's been, I've really enjoyed this episode. It's been great. Thank you very much, Heather. Great speaking with you and all of your audience.